We're back, and I am always ecstatic to be able to report that we are joined by one of the people who I've really come to be um, both hugely admiring of and incredibly grateful to. Her name is Natalie Winters, and those of you who are paying attention, I trust, are aware of the great work that she does, notably at the National Pulse, where she is its resident investigative reporter. She has also become something of a rock star, uh, thanks in part to uh, Steve Bannon and the War Room Pandemic show on which she frequently appears and occasionally co-hosts. And now as a result of uh, speaking tours that I think she's doing both um, with her boss, Rahim Kassam, and on her own right to spread the word about what she is discovering in the course of her reportage, um, notably and of particular importance to our audience and program and country, is uh, the extent to which we have in our government a host of people now who it seems are actively working with or otherwise aiding and abetting the Chinese Communist Party. Natalie Winters, it's great to have you with us. And let me just start off by saying how much I appreciate all of that good work. And thank you for taking the time to talk a bit about it with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think you, you always give the best and kindest introductions. So thank you. And I could say the same about you because you've definitely done more for the movement than I have. But thank you for those kind words. Thank you. Well, I've, I've got about a 50-year head start on you. So <laughs> but we expect you to catch up tomorrow. Um, listen, I, I wanted to start with uh, the just brilliant uh, and penetrating uh, analysis that you have been doing into uh, Anthony Fauci, his whole, well, malfeasant conduct uh, at the National Institute of Health, uh, National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, as they would call it, it's called. Talk a little bit about the role that he has played now for decades, but most especially the past 18 months or so in connection with uh, the nation's grappling with um, infectious diseases and, of course, especially this one we call the Chinese Communist Party virus, COVID-19. Well, we talk a lot about Manchurian candidates. I think we know there's probably one in the White House right now, but I think Fauci is a good example of what I would call a Manchurian bureaucrat in the sense that Really, when you look at his conduct in terms of leading the NIAID, how he's led the messaging in response to COVID-19, uh, it's really hard to say that the interests that he's advocating for and on behalf of are for the American people, given his agency's extensive ties, both via personnel uh, and financials, to Chinese Communist Party-run labs, most infamously uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, but I think that the bigger picture with Anthony Fauci, and frankly, in my opinion, why he is so desperate to keep this pandemic going, because he knows on the other side of this pandemic, when, if ever, uh, it ends, accountability will come. And that's when investigations into his conduct and more broadly what the NIAID has been doing, uh, you know, even decades before this pandemic started, uh, is because he really has been the figurehead and one of the loudest voices, not just arguing in favor of gain of function, which is, of course, you know, weaponization of dangerous pathogens, but that type of research, uh, but really leading the agency that has been sending the highest amount of U.S. taxpayer dollars overseas to, you know, Chinese Communist Party run labs. And I think people 
kind of misunderstand how ardently and under control of the Chinese government, uh, really the entire scientific ecosystem and landscape is overseas. Anthony Fauci, Fauci certainly doesn't understand that um, because he's been funding these labs since you know the early 2000s. And I think this dovetails quite nicely with the story that we put up just yesterday. Uh, but people may recall, you know, over I think last week, last weekend, uh, The Intercept got a lot of uh, documents via FOIA with regards to a 2014 grant called Understanding the Risk of Bat Coronavirus Emergence. And while that's kind of a hard, confusing headline uh, or title, rather, if you dig into the grant, you can see there's 30 studies that were published underneath that grant. All of them were funded by NIAID. Uh, 13 of them counted authors from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And what's really interesting about this grant is someone who has read all those studies, uh, you know, the PDF, the actual pub publications, you can see that the grant money is described not just as going to EcoHealth Alliance, which is the New York-based group that people may have heard of that was collaborating with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but these funds are also explicitly stated that they're going to Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers. Um, but what's really interesting and kind of the story that we have up at the National Pulse is that Southern uh, Medical University, which was formerly known as, uh, I forget the exact name, but it was a military university. It's still under control of the PLA. You can go on their website. You see it's, it's described as being a quote arm of the PLA and their biochip lab and their kind of weapons procurement uh, asset of the army. Uh, and this is a university that was actually supplying the studies that were that were completed underneath this grant with human blood samples so they could do this sort of gain-of-function research, what they call recombination analysis. So while this is just an anecdote and just one story, I think this speaks to the bigger problem with funding, you know, any form of scientific research with the Chinese Communist Party is that you have that civil-military fusion, but more broadly, just the lack of oversight um, from Anthony Fauci. And, and I'd also add that if you look at the NIAID and NIH grant database right now, which, believe it or not, in a true Chinese Communist Party fashion, they actually took down a few weeks ago. They took the, the database down, but after we reported that, they put it back up. So no no coincidences in politics, but <laughs> no. maybe there is one there. Uh, but they're, they're actually still funding this university, Southern uh, Medical University. And throughout 2020 and 21, 13 grants have been given to Chinese state-run scientific organizations from the NIH, totaling over $4 million. Uh, so these people have not learned their lesson. And I, I think that's the takeaway from the, pan the pandemic. Obviously, people like you and me think there's no reason that we should ever fund scientific research with, you know, in collaboration with the Chinese Communist Party. But even people who don't view the, the CCP the way that we do, I think this pandemic proved that it's not worth funding a regime, an entity that is not going to be transparent you know, if there's some lab accident or an intentional release, if you can't get any transparency, it's not an investment or a risk worth taking. Well, those are all very sensible points, Natalie Winters, but it does seem to me that they're true in spades if you're talking about the biological warfare program of a hostile power that's made little secret of the fact that it intends, in the future at least, to use such products of that research 
against you, perhaps with murderous effects. I believe they've done it already, in fact, with this COVID business. But certainly, um, there's talk, as you know, about um, ethnically tailored biological diseases, that uh, weapons that they uh, have been working on for the purpose of eliminating you know, people like us. So this brings me to one other point before I switch gears with you. Um, Lawrence Sullen, as you know, has been doing some very interesting work on other research being conducted by People's Liberation Army scientists associated with the Chinese Communist Party's biological weapons program. Only they're not at Southern University or whatever it's called. They're not at Wuhan Institute of Virology or elsewhere in China. They're here in our own research institutions, uh, laboratories, uh, academic centers, and so on. Um, what do you make of that, uh, Natalie? And shouldn't that also be uh, brought to a, an abrupt halt immediately? Yeah, I think that that is a problem that people really fail to understand the level of just infiltration and really the, just the percentage of employment that you see from Chinese Communist Party, either educated, trained, and I would argue, frankly, controlled researchers operating at American universities, right? These exchange programs, for example, I'm inclined to think about the Galveston National Laboratory, which is, again, funded by entirely by Anthony Fauci's NIAID, but this is a lab uh, that actually trains the researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology how to work with, quote, the world's most dangerous pathogens, which are something that I want nowhere near the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, but this exchange program works both ways, and a lot of Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers are holed up there learning how to, you know, conduct sort of gain-of-function type, type research. But you know, I, I also think the point is with with this research, you you know, you bring up these like viruses that are that are tailored to specific races or ethnicities. You know, there was like, some controversy uh, over 9-11 where the editor in chief of Global Times, which is, of course, a state run outlet, uh, he predicted that there would be a, another, quote, deadly you know terrorist attack uh, on America. And I think in some ways we've already seen it. It was just bioterrorism. Uh, you know, it happened with, with this virus that you so aptly call the CCP virus. But I, I think that one more thing, a little, little off topic, but that is really important and something that I've been paying a lot of attention to uh, with regards to the Chinese Communist Party infiltration in academia and on campus. People may be aware of the China initiative that was started under President Trump in 2018 to go after basically all the ways that the Chinese government exploits American business and academia for purposes of intellectual property theft, espionage, just more broadly, infiltration. I think that's the best way to sum it up. And in the, in the last month or so, just as, you know, I think that the narrative much, you know, spearheaded by people like Lawrence Sellin, um, in terms of the, the PLA infiltration into American universities, there's been a lot of pushback from either kind of the Stop AAPI Hate Coalition, but also even from Stanford University. 177 professors from there just signed on to a letter, uh, basically lobbying Biden's DOJ to end the China initiative to stop using these resources to go after, you know, Chinese Communist Party-linked academics. And I think to me, that is something that's really, really, really scary and frankly, even scarier under the Biden regime, as we call it at the National Poll, not just because one of Biden's top DOJ officials is just on leave of absence from Stanford University. So it's all her colleagues who are, who are lobbying her. Uh, but these people now kind of want to exploit the you know CRT infused narrative of, oh, it's racist to go after 
CCP links academics. It's just on the grounds of race, which you and I know that's not the case at all. This has to do with a you know brutal regime that oppresses its own people more than they do anyone else and their efforts to exploit American taxpayer dollars, ingenuity and research uh, to aid and abet their, their own regime. So I think that is something that we need to, you know, lay, lay the, the line down here and say that, you know, the China initiative should never be halted. It's, it's critical. It's important. And I think it's very, very interesting that there are massive lobbying efforts to stop that now. It, it seems as though it's got its parallels in other pressure that the Chinese are bringing to bear, notably um, to get their friends on Wall Street to weigh in with the Congress, not to... Uh, put into place legislation that would interfere with their access to our capital markets, for example. But but to your, and we don't have a lot of time for this, alas, um, Natalie, but to your point there at the end of your last comment, um, the Biden administration is now riddled with individuals from the commander-in-chief on down who have been implicated uh, I believe, uh, compromised uh, or otherwise uh, subverted by the Chinese Communist Party over the years. I don't think there's anybody in the country that's done a better job than you of uh, bringing this to light. Our team has been doing an accountability initiative uh, in the uh, trying to showcase some of this as well. And I commend everybody at accountabilityinitiative.org, as well as Natalie's wonderful reporting at nationalpulse.com. But just give us kind of an overview, if you would, of the extent of this problem, Natalie, as you see it, and the degree to which it really represents a serious threat to our institutions, uh, to our security, um, and to our freedoms. Well, thank you for your kind words, but I will say that the uh, the Biden regime makes it fairly easy to to track all the, the varying levels of, of compromise that and many of their their officials, all the way from you know top to bottom, from Joe Biden down to Frank, probably the interns, um, have. And I, I think the probably the best story to just encapsulate the both ideological but also financial compromise that goes on in that White House, you were bringing up the stock market and how, as you know, you and I both both agree that any of these CCP or PLA-linked companies should not be allowed to be traded. Uh, but Joe Biden's Deputy Secretary of State, this is someone who's very powerful. Her name is Wendy Sherman. It's a name that everyone should know. Uh, she actually, amidst this whole Afghanistan debacle, and amidst COVID-19 pandemic, while Americans are dying from the CCP virus, she actually invested in uh, some sort of ETF, an exchange-traded fund, that was one of the top investments was Tencent, which people may know is a you know, Chinese Communist Party-linked technology company that's critical to the regime's kind of ambitions to really become a global hegemon. And it's that level of compromise, whether you want to attribute that to just ignorance and not understanding the CCP as a threat, or frankly, in my point, I think this is the distinction that I draw a lot on war room between the idea of elite capture as opposed to elite merger. Uh, it's that these individuals, these apparatchiks in the Biden regime, they have so willingly and, and just sold out to the Chinese Communist Party that they're okay with investing and aiding their rise. Uh, through through their investments. And, you know, Wendy Sherman, I think, is a really, really good example of this, not just because she's also taken trips to China from a, an influence group known as the China United States Exchange Foundation. She's called Xi Jinping Extraordinary. 
And her husband, believe it or not, he used to be a journalist. He actually accepted trips from that same influence group, the China United States Exchange Foundation, that we exposed uh, as forcing these journalists upon return uh, to give the Chinese Communist Party, quote, favorable coverage. So that's just one person, again, who's the deputy secretary of state, which is a very, very important role uh, in the Biden White House. just to, to speak to the level of compromise, and I, I could go on and on and on about all, all the different people, but it, it really is an issue. And I think you see it right now first, firsthand with, with the whole Afghanistan debacle. And I think the distinction that we draw there is, is it one of incompetence or is it one of not believing in America, not believing that Americans are worth saving? Uh, because frankly, I think that reflects in the ideology that allows you to be compromised and sell out to the Chinese Communist Party. That's such a telling point. And it's one that I've arrived at myself in a commentary today, Natalie, as you may have seen, that talks about, you know, whether what these people really have embraced uh, and for which in many cases they've been well compensated uh, for embracing is that America is in decline. China, the communist Chinese state is the ascending power and we just have to manage our uh, you know transition into an inferior status and it's terrifying that such people are in senior positions in our government and uh, especially when it seems as though they're not exactly managing our decline terribly well and it uh, seems more uh, unmanaged, at least uh, an unmitigated disaster. Natalie Winters, we have to leave it at that. This has been such fun. I hope that you will come back to us again soon um, as ever you keep giving us good things to visit about and um, inspire us with. And I appreciate so much what you're doing, especially at your tender age. You are really a phenomenon and uh, I know you'll keep up the great work at National Pulse and we'll talk with you soon about it in greater detail, I hope. I hope we'll be talking with the rest of you again tomorrow. You've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney.